welcome to the Global Thought Podcast sponsored by the Committee on Global Thought at Columbia University. My name is Vishaka Desai and I'm the chair of the Committee on Global Thought. Today, we are joined by three guests for a very special two-part episode on Afghanistan, the Taliban, and the women of Afghanistan. One of her, one of the guests is Dr. Masuda Jalal, a very special guest, well known to many people who have known about women of Afghanistan. Dr. Jalal has been a professor at the Kabul Medical University and has worked in leadership positions in the UN World Food Program and UNHCR offices. She was also the first woman in the history of Afghanistan who ran for president and has served as a representative to the 2002 Afghanistan Grand Assembly. In her time, Dr. Jalal has emerged as a leading voice for Afghan women with her tireless efforts and activism, for which she's being recognized and appreciated by many international awards and honors. Joining Dr. Jalal today is her daughter, Hasina, a university student here in the United States, as well as a women's rights activist herself. Along with two of them is a very special guest, Kunal Shankar, graduate of the MA program in Global Thought here at Columbia, and he's also a journalist now based in India. And it was Kunal who actually brought this program to us who will also moderate the discussion today. So with that, let me now uh, have Kunal take over and begin the discussion. Thank you. I'm privileged to be speaking to Dr. Jalal, um, who is indeed an icon in her country and for women across the world. She not only is the first woman who ran um, for the president once, but thrice in Afghanistan and uh, came up in impressive number six um, in 2004 um, and was part of the first government after the fall of the Taliban that year. Um, Dr. Jalal, thank you indeed for speaking with me. And um, we've had a long association, but it is, it is very heartwarming to see you at this podcast and um, and your daughter Asina, um, thank you for joining this podcast as well. Um, if I may begin with asking you, Dr. Jalal, you've had a, a difficult time, um, I would assume, leaving your country. Now you're in exile in Europe. Could you tell us what this is? meant for you. Um, you. You did not, you haven't left your country ever before. You've had death threats against you. You've had your security apparatus sometimes bombed. Um, you've, you've never decided to leave the country, but here we are today um, where you are in exile in Europe. I'm uh, 57 years old and uh, 43 years of my life, there has been uh, war in Afghanistan. And um, so I left the whole life inside Afghanistan and uh, I could manage to survive. And But uh, this time it was out of question. If I was not leaving like many other politicians left the country, so there was a real danger of losing life. 
So this was the reason that I left. I'm in exile now uh, for uh, survival. I mean, uh, as you are the witness and the whole world is uh, witnessing that Afghan politicians, the majority left the country and the rest are in uh, hidden places or they are suffering the insecurity and threats, yeah? But there was no other way to remain in the country except to go out of the country and to live in exile until we see how the future will be. Choosing to come out of the country was not my choice. So I was forced to come out. Uh, I feel that I'm forced to come out and to live in exile. And I hope that the country gets back um, peaceful and stable, and that um, politicians can go back and serve the country. Uh, because years that I um, got educated, my dream was to serve my country and to bring a positive change to the people's life. And that's why I hope uh, that I can go back one day and continue serving my people. Also in exile right now, I'm trying to be the voice of voiceless people and women of Afghanistan. I'm trying in exile to help them from outside the country. So lobbying for humanitarian aid for Afghanistan people, paying particular attention to women's and girls' life. So this is what I am doing since I have come out and I am in exile. If I can get back to something you said, you are 57 and for 43 years there has been war. In the first of those some years, you were trained as a pediatrician. You studied at Kabul Medical University. You um, even taught there. You practiced as a doctor. How, was those, how were those years? And what shaped you in those years? When you look back, what do you make of that time period in, from 1964? I was trained to be a medical doctor and a professor in Kabul University as I was a topper student. In Afghanistan, when you top in the national uh, university exam, then you go to the faculty of medicine. So, and you become a doctor. So I became a doctor through this process and uh, served as a doctor to my people. But when uh, in uh, 1996, Taliban uh, took power in Afghanistan, they stopped the female professors of Kabul University, like they stopped all other women, educated women from their jobs. So uh, I had to go back home since uh, I could speak foreign languages, then I joined the United Nations, leading the women's and health programs. And I was operating from my home. My home was my office and it was in a low profile way. So in this way, I came into the aid programs of United Nations and served the people uh, in a broader uh, spectrum and where to the hundred and thousands of beneficiaries uh, my work and services were reaching. And people, uh, more people, hundreds and thousands, started to know me as their servant. So the basis for my political life started from this social work to people with the basis of United Nations and United Nations aid. So in 2001, when uh, Taliban gone and international community entered, so I was very famous in the country for the services that I did to people. The democracy that was brought with international community and uh, with the help of United Nations, they announced that any citizen 
men or women who are eligible to the requirements of being a presidential candidate can become a presidential candidate. So I tried and I went forward. So Taliban stopped me working as a professor in Kabul University. So I joined the United Nations and then that brought me into politics in Afghanistan as becoming the first presidential candidate in 5,000 history of the country as a woman. A new chapter in the history of Afghanistan uh, got opened and a great service in the, in the historical service was done to the women's rights in the country. Um, coming back to something that you mentioned, so you, you just spoke about your politicization process. You, you were stopped from what you were very passionate about. You, you, know, you wanted to serve your people and your country and you, you, you did that through, through your medical service. You were actually arrested for a few days, weren't you, uh, by the Taliban government? Yes when they come, came to power. Could you, could you talk a little bit about that? I was uh, arrested uh, during the uh, Taliban regime in the late uh, 90s. Uh, I wanted to uh, hire 3,000 women for a women bakery project survey in Kabul. And um, so that was uh, known by Taliban government. That caused the head of uh, Taliban regime to issue an edict. The edict was titled Massive Women Employment, Ban- Banning Massive Women Employment. And based on that, uh, there was a, an order from the Minister of Justice of Taliban and uh, on uh, me to be uh, taken, I mean, to be um, taken to the prison. So I was taken to the prison, but uh, United Nations headquarters in New York uh, helped and said to the Minister of Foreign Ministry of Taliban that if I was not to be released, so they would have cut all the aid to Afghanistan. So with that price, then the Minister of uh, Justice of Taliban ordered back to release me, uh, but with a, with a commitment, written commitment signed by me that if uh, I continue working, so they will hang me in public for advice to other women. So they took that written commitment from me, then they released me. Uh, that happened during Taliban time, of course, yeah. So, but to the last moment, I continued working at that time to women under the support of United Nations to the last day that international community entered and Taliban uh, went out. I was uh, within the um, uh, contract with United Nations to, to work and I did work up to the last day. Of, uh, although they put me to the jail and uh, they received a written commitment from me not to uh, work, but my own commitment and my own notion was to serve democracy and uh, women's rights, human rights, promote the health of people, uh, help the people at that time that they were they were having miserable life. And it was at that time also the United Nations and international organization that was uh, that were feeding people and taking care of people. So I thought I could continue, and I continued with taking all those risks. So you basically defied death threats um, by the Taliban um, and. You, you went against the written commitment knowing full well that that could be something really fatal to you. And you continued to do your work until 2001. But in that time period, you also did a whole range of things. You, you, you canvassed for women to have education. You, you set up your own foundation 
Could you tell us, tell us the kind of work that you did and how were you able to do this as probably one of the only women at that time, is that, isn't that right, uh, to even working in Afghanistan? Because most women weren't really be, weren't able to work in that time period, in those five years between 1996 and 2001. I was officially stopped like other women uh, from the uh, government job that I had as a professor of Kabul University, Faculty of Medicine. Uh, but uh, when I joined the United Nations, it was low profile and my office was the only office under the territory of Taliban. Um, many women, like 3,000 women that I employed uh, in 1999, uh, when the head of Taliban issued that edict on my work. And uh, I was taken to the prison that uh, I just told you the whole story. This was the only office. And I had perfect support of United Nations in terms of funding and in terms of also political support. Yeah, um, because when I was uh, in problem, they stopped the government of Taliban of further imprisonment or further punishment that they were trying to do. So they couldn't do it. After releasing from the prison, also United Nations put it to myself. If I wanted, um, they issued a letter to UNHCR, go out to Australia right away as a refugee. But at that time, I decided to stay and to continue my work. I had life risk taken, uh, but continued to work to uh, Afghan women and to Afghan people particularly to those who were at risk of starvation and at risk of losing their lives for the children, malnourished children I was working, to save their lives. So I was feeling committed as a doctor. I was trained to, to, to devote to, to others, devote to people. So as a doctor, I was thinking that if I, if I was to stop that work, that I was doing during Taliban time, there was no alternative. Uh, Taliban were not allowing men to do what I was doing for women and children. So uh, if I was leaving the job, going to the Australia, it was good for myself and my family to become secured, uncomfortable, and avoiding all those risks. But uh, I, I couldn't decide based on my conscience that I knew that if I, if I um, stop this, uh, they don't let the men to take over this job. And those hundreds of thousands of women and uh, children, widows and uh, malnourished children that I was reaching by my services, uh, that would have been stopped. So I knew that, that uh, this work for hundreds and thousands of people who are at risk uh, will be stopped and men will not be allowed to be taken over. So all these beneficiaries will go under severe life risk. So by my own conscience, I couldn't decide to give them. And this was the World Food Program um, initiated um, initiative, isn't it? It is. It was. Yes. Yes, it was United Nations World, uh, World Food Program. I have to ask you, where do you get drive derive your strength from? Um, do you look back in your family? Do you find it uh, in your mother or your father or has, has it been your upbringing or the time when you lived? Um, where do you get your determination, uh, this sort of steely resolve to do what you've been doing? Well, as a mother, I feel children. I, I feel children. Uh, I understand them. I feel them. And 
I wanted to continue that work and I couldn't decide to leave. Although United Nations told me that uh, make your decision and take your own responsibility, they said it after, after all those threats and written threats that the Taliban government was sending to the United Nations office. And also as a doctor, I was trained to devote uh, myself to people, to, to my patients, yeah? And those people that I was taking care, I knew that, that if I, if I stop working for them, they will go to life risk. And as a doctor, I couldn't accept that. I couldn't accept to leave them and choose myself to go and to live in Australia uh, in convenience. So right. that's why I continued to the, to the last moment when Taliban gone and international community came in. So the popularity and uh, that I got through those uh, uh, hardship uh, years of uh, Afghanistan people life and my own life engaged to them, the people realized and that gave me the courage to stand for becoming the leader and president of the, of the country. Come 2001, as you said, uh, things change. And then there is uh, the US-led invasion and the fall of the Taliban government. And then you are one of the few women who are elected to uh, the upper council to decide, the emergency council to decide on um, who to have an interim president. Tell us a little bit about that. How were you how were you one among the only women, probably, uh, who, who got there? As I just said, that in uh, Kabul province, in all provinces under uh, Taliban territory, my services uh, uh, were going on during Taliban regime, 1996 to 2001. And in Kabul, uh, the majority of people knew me because uh, I was uh, leading and administrating uh, about uh, many, many bakery projects and uh, health projects and uh, children for malnourished children, nutritional projects, and uh, many uh, widows projects to reach to the widows. Employment for 3,000 women. That's, I mean, there was no, no other employment for women. So it okay. uh, brought a lot of good name and good popularity. So when I became the um, candidate for becoming the delegate, elected delegate of Kabul province to the Grand Assembly, I got the first score, the top scores of the votes and went to the Grand Assembly. And in Grand Assembly for becoming candidate for presidential position, you needed 170 or 150 um, signatures of the delegates. So I could gather 300, more than 300 signatures from the delegates because people knew me and they had no problem. I mean, the delegates had no problem for becoming the candidate for presidential election. And when I um, um, read my uh, program for Afghanistan, it was welcomed very well by the delegates of the country. And they started making comments that they are going to vote because uh, they were saying that uh, this woman candidate has not fought to any uh, political military group and uh, she can bring the peace, the reconciliation. Also um, in peace and reconstruction program of Afghanistan, a woman leader can bring more transparency and justice and inclusivity and democracy um, with its uh, real meaning, yeah? So right. there was a lot of interest 
but uh, the results was that I became the second. Then I was right. proposed to um, be in the cabinet as a minister for women's affairs. Well, tell us, so I'm going to take you back to that point. Um, as you said, you have become very famous by this time in Afghanistan and Kabul province particularly, you're really well known. There is this real threat that you could actually garner more votes than many other candidates. Uh, the the president-to-be, President Hamid Karzai, is quite upset by your popularity, and he asks you to be his running mate, um, the vice president. He offers you the position of the vice president, and he also offers you a couple of cabinet posts. You, uh, you choose not to take it up, and you actually choose to run against him. What made you decide that? Because it, it, it could have been a historic decision if you had decided to be uh, vice president. You would have been the country's first woman vice president. During voting um, voting process, there was an atmosphere of voting to the female candidate. So that made the leaders to call me to the to the meeting with them, and I was proposed that give up your candidacy because they got insecured, and uh, we will give you some uh, cabinet position for your friends since you don't have a party. And also you yourself be the first deputy president. But at that time, I thought that uh, becoming first deputy president or getting several posts in the cabinet, I can do it in the future of my political life, yeah? At, at that moment, I thought it is a historical action for, for an Afghan woman in the 5,000 history, years of uh, history of the country. So let's open a new chapter uh, with a very strong stand that I am not accepting those positions. I'm not going after the political deals, which shows uh, a weak stand and like um, giving up and receiving some seats, yeah? So for women to, to start in a very strong uh, way, I thought that no, I'm not accepting this. I go forward with my candidacy. And there was the tendency of receiving votes. I, I was thinking at that time, I have the a chance to become the first one. Was such a tendency, and this tendency made them insecure. That's why they started proposing uh, power, but with a deal to stop your uh, candidacy. So I didn't do that. I thought that I opened a gate for Afghan women to come into the, uh, to come into politics, to increase political participation of women, and I paved the way for them. I open a new chapter in the history, and I do this for Afghanistan women and for Afghan democracy at this moment, even if I'm not becoming the first. And it will give Afghanistan women other generation in the future a lot of strength uh, morally. The morally, a lot of power, giving them a lot of power that uh, it started the woman political participation in the country in 2001 with such an, a strong stand of not accepting becoming the second person of the country, receiving um, cabinet positions for, your, for my friends, but continuing my candidacy. And that continuation of my candidacy gave me lots of trust and credibility among uh, public thoughts and Afghan people. Because after the election, 
people, thousands of people came to me uh, that be uh, a candidate for presidential election for the next uh, five years. We will vote to you. Because that trust that I'm not uh, giving up by political deeds. Right. Well, you have your daughter who most certainly looks up to you and is a fine example of the kind of women you've been wanting to create um, in your country. Um, so now, you know, so now the election is over. You are the sixth most popular candidate, at least by the number of votes in Afghanistan. Of the 17 candidates, everybody else is a man except you. Everyone's surprised by the, the sheer number of votes you've gathered. And the president, President Hamid Karzai, offers you the position of being his women's affairs minister, which you accept. And after you did that, you went on to attempt historic, really uh, landmark policies and decisions. For instance, the one million housing, if I'm right, for widowed women, um, of, uh, particularly of uh, men who've been at war. Um, but you had a lot of pushback against schemes like that. Um, there was also the uh, law of elimination of uh, violence against women, which you um, really authored. You, uh, you headed that commission. And there was pushback against that as well. So what happens in those two years? If you could, those were really consequential years. Um, if you could probably speak about that at that time period. After the election 2004, I was... Uh... Uh, suggested to be in the cabinet by United Nations. Yes, the leadership of United Nations uh, asked me after election, uh, when the result was announced, to, to be in the cabinet and to work uh, and serve people of Afghanistan, women of Afghanistan. So I accepted and uh, I became the um, Minister for Women's Affairs. So becoming a Minister for Women's Affairs I had the cooperation and collaboration of United Nations and international organization, and the work was going um, extraordinarily good uh, because they were helping me a lot. So right. I did um, draft the law for elimination of violence against women, and also on the National Action Plan, 10 years National Action Plan for government of Afghanistan was for empowerment of women, and the law was for uh, saving Afghanistan women from fear that was uh, ruling their lives. Uh, plus one million uh, houses for the widows left from wartime. But you know that um, uh, the, the, uh, the company that was to construct these houses, I uh, made the protocol and everything was done, but the government didn't give land. Uh, because when, when I approached the government, they said that, or the relation, power relations between men and women will be affected. So we don't want women to be in actual power relations equal to men. They stop the company, uh, the construction company, and they send out the construction company out of uh, that province, and uh, they stop the work. And they said that we don't want, uh, we don't want, uh, and we don't let this. And when I said, uh, what is the reason they give this reason? And also um, they said that women will become very much powerful and they will uh, divorce their wife, uh, husband. So this reason was given to me and, uh, and uh, the work was stopped. So for uh, law for elimination of violence against women, you know that because of this uh, reaction uh, from, the, from the government leadership that I was receiving, 
uh, I drafted inside my private house because I didn't want uh, the government to get to know about it. When the draft was finished, then I took it to my office, signed it and sent it to the Ministry of Justice. So, and for uh, national act, 10 years, national action plan to uh, women of Afghanistan that each ministry should do what each year um, uh, uh, and Ministry of Women's Affairs supervising the implementation that that would have brought a lot of ch positive changes to women's life. You know that when I drafted that, I didn't take it to the cabinet. Uh, uh, I asked for the UN Women Technical Support for drafting this um, uh, plan. And I took it in London um, uh, conference and put it in the uh, compact uh, sheet uh, of Afghanistan strategic program with the help of United Nations UN Women, this um, uh, national action plan. So I didn't take it to the cabinet because I was expecting it would have been uh, rejected. These plans right. will empower Afghanistan women and we don't want um, that uh, women of Afghanistan can be empowered so quickly to this level. So they were saying it very openly to me. So I did right. it uh, like in low profile, not them knowing about it. And when it came to the London uh, conference uh, document and it was signed by the international community and the United Nations, so their presence made sure that that plan gets implemented. And now we have 24% of civil servants um, consists of women and 10,000 women in uh, security organs, 66,000 women uh, trained as teachers and 6,000 women trained as judges. 50% uh, of women uh, of girls at uh, school age, uh, they were in school. All these good changes happened after this um, document uh, went into effect and um, international organization and United Nations since it came into an international document. So it went ahead um, into um, implementation phase. And same with the law for elimination of violence against women happened and uh, for, the, for the houses. So they, they came openly and uh, took the international construction company that I found to build it. Uh, took it out of the province and told me that we don't let uh, this project to be uh, going ahead and to be implemented. They they said that Minister of Women's Affairs is going that quick that uh, takes the government of Afghanistan in the service of women's rights. <laughs> and the National Action Plan was doing that, really. And uh, this one million houses really was bringing, uh, lifting Afghan women up uh, so they said that um, we should stop her. So what they did, uh, they decided to abolish Ministry of Women's Affairs, but I, with the international lobby that I did, uh, I could save the Ministry of Women's Affairs uh, to be uh, there, but uh, myself was uh, not put in the list uh, of ministers to the parliament, so I was marginalized. By the, by the enormous work that I was doing for Afghan women, for Afghan democracy, and uh, also um, this work of one million houses to widows and uh, all this, uh, and there was no nepotism in my work and there was no corruption in my work. Even one penny is not uh, corrupted in my, during my work in uh, cabinet. So all the government and the media, the staff all uh, confessed that, that the only ministry during uh, my term that one penny is not lost. So such uh, diseases were not in my work so the president became insecure 
and then decided to marginalize me very much intentionally because um, they thought that in the forthcoming election in 2009 with this work. Uh, uh, so, and the output and result of this work, the people of Afghanistan would have a stand uh, um, uh, for her and she will be the next uh, president of the country. So that's why they marginalized me. And um, uh, then my work with the government is stopped. And also for the other positions like uh, becoming ambassador, going out of the country, uh, I didn't accept uh, because the government uh, started to become um, corrupt and uh, the government popularity went into um, under question. And uh, so I am as a political leader and that wanted to be um, a candidate for the coming presidential election, didn't want to be contaminated with this uh, bad name of the government that finally you are witness that uh, this uh, problems, uh, I mean, uh, uh, day by day uh, increased and finally collapsed. Right. So, you know, I mean, some of the numbers, I'm just going to read out some of the numbers that I got uh, from your time period there, which you were instrumental in really creating. The, you really expanded the scope of the Afghan constitution where articles 84 and 83 uh, together mandate that nearly a third of the members of parliament are women. It made Afghanistan one of 77 countries according to the Interparliamentary Union, which tracks such data, where legislation exists to ensure women's leadership in the political process. And at that time, Afghanistan had 69 women members in the Wolesi Jarga, or the lower house of parliament, out of 249. At that time period, in comparison, the United States had only about 18% of congressional members who were women. And in India, neighboring India, it was only 11%. Um, so Afghanistan, actually, when it came to the metrics of women, particularly in your time period as the Women's Affairs Minister and later, was really good. Even uh, life expectancy really bettered uh, after 2002. In fact, it almost halved um, uh, the, the number of uh, mortality deaths, uh, maternal mortality deaths as well. So these were really consequential times um, and you then leave government um, you become a bitter critique of the uh, Karzai government but you continue your work um, after that could you talk about that i was a, an elected delegate of Kabul province to the um, uh, grand assembly that was convening the um, constitution of afghanistan in 2004 and, um, and the, the right for becoming um, presidential candidate for women, it, it was given to, to women of Afghanistan because I practiced it in 2002 uh, as a presidential candidate. Because of my practice as uh, a presidential candidate that I took the risk and went forward within the uh, time that everybody was um, armed to the neck and there was um, the conservatism and extremism uh, were strangulating uh, 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 the Afghan people voices in such an atmosphere, in a, such a historical time, I took the risk and I stood, uh, stood for that um, uh, presidential election as a 
candidate and I didn't give it up for the political deals for myself. So that brought to women of Afghanistan in the constitution in 2004 uh, and the right to 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 have uh, the right to uh, be a presidential candidate um, uh, in in Afghanistan. So and also on the other rights that you just uh, mentioned from the Afghan constitution uh, during the Grand Assembly, I used my um, name and my popularity and my contacts with the delegates from the different parts of the country um, gathered signatures um, from from many delegates to complete that requirement of 150 or 250 signatures to um, to to enable Afghanistan women to have these uh, other rights that you just mentioned. Uh, so there was uh, great work uh, and uh, took place in the um, Constitutional Grand Assembly through this activism that um, I did for Afghanistan women. Um, so um, it was a great achievement for Afghanistan Afghanistan woman, and um, I, uh, whenever it is mentioned, I feel so much happy and proud for that. For that, that afterwards, then uh, other hundreds and thousands of women came forward from different parts of the country, and they became candidate for the electoral positions, like in the parliament and in provincial councils, and uh, filled all the seats that um, uh, analysts at that time uh, were saying that. The, the seats given to the women uh, would have not been filled because the society is not ready. But because of my work with taking risk, life risk at that time, it happened that not even a single seat remained empty. Uh, they were all got uh, filled and uh, women uh, MPs and women um, provincial councillors, they started to um, uh, work greatly to serve greatly for people of Afghanistan and they were accepted because the first stone was uh, put very firmly and uh, I did put that first stone and uh, it was uh, done by a woman that people wanted her. So right. that's why a, a, a good positive image uh, happened and people accepted other women. I um, I was uh, like, but uh, I give you an example that uh, other women in peace were telling me that when they were going to villages uh, to talk about uh, and do campaign uh, for their candidacy, uh, people in the village were coming together and they were saying that, come here, that uh, Masood Jalal has come to, to campaign. So they were telling me that when we were going there, they were calling us uh, uh, in your name. So right. um, the good things happen, but the dream of becoming president of Afghanistan uh, to bring a real democracy uh, with all its values, it is, uh, uh, it is remained. And I hope that it is coming in my lifetime in the future. Thank you, Dr. Jalal, and thank you our listeners for joining the first part of this very special two-part episode. Tune in to the next episode to hear from Dr. Jalal on her thoughts about the current situation in Afghanistan and her hopes for the future. We will also hear from Hasina, Dr. Jalal's daughter, and what it was like growing up in Afghanistan as the doctor's daughter. Thank you and goodbye.